This is from Voltaire, a French Enlightenment writer and historian and, and philosopher, and he writes this, Don't think money does everything, or you're going to end up doing everything for money. Amen to that. <laughs> pretty, uh, pretty accurate uh, statement that he makes there. And there's a lot of people in our American culture that actually uh, are in that kind of situation today. We wanted to talk about, uh, we're on our fourth message of talking about the glory uh, fourth message, actually, about fourth and sixth message about glory. And so we wanted to talk about the, uh, the coming of the glory uh, during Christ's earthly ministry. And so all of this was prophesied. Remember that the glory left Israel. And so he departed from the temple. You can see that in Ezekiel chapter 10. The glory departed, and they were waiting on the return of the glory. And so this is very important to understand in the history of Israel. They were looking and waiting for the glory to return. But there was something that they expected when the glory returned. There was a lot of different scriptures they were waiting on. And so we, we look at Israel today and we say, well, couldn't they have known that? Why didn't they see it, that he was the one? Well, there was a lot of reasons why. Let me direct your attention over to <clears throat> Luke chapter 1. If you read Luke chapter 1, you should understand what was going on. But, you know, in the context in Christendom, a lot of people are not taught what is happening. And so they believe that when they see Christ come during his earthly ministry, that he came and it was for the church. And that's all that they see. And so then they interpret all of the scriptures in the gospel in light of that fact. Well, we can see by Zacharias, he gives this prophecy and he's telling you what the purpose of the birth of Christ was for. And notice if you pick it up in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 67. <clears throat> and look at what he says here. Now, all of this is a precursor to the return of the glory and Christ coming to take on the human body. All of this is a background, backdrop behind it. Notice what he says in verse 67. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which he has, which have been since the world began or from an age. Now, notice what this prophecy was, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. And so they were expecting a physical deliverance from their enemies. This is what they were expecting. Um, and notice verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that we would, he would grant us that we being delivered out of the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. This is what Israel was expecting. So, it's interesting how God did it. So, one day, this guy comes on the scene, out in the wilderness, eating honey and locusts, <laughs> gird with, <laughs> with uh, what you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect somebody to be good with that was actually proclaiming the coming of the Son. And what does he say? Repent. The kingdom from the heavens are at hand. 
So what did the Jews do? They sent somebody out to him. You can see this in John chapter 1, and they say, who are you? Are you that Messiah? He says, I am not. Who are you then? Are you Elijah? These are all people that they were expecting, right? And they're just going right down the line. Are you Elijah? I am not. Who are you? Are you that prophet? So to the church today, most people will read that and it means nothing to them. But to the Jews, it meant everything. Everything they asked him was important. And so they just wrote him off. When he says he's not any of those, they just wrote him off. And so God did something differently that Israel wasn't expecting. And so we're going to see that at the end of the tribulation period, the son's going to return in glory and he's going to put down his enemies. And he would have done it then if they would have believed. But because he didn't come in the way that they were expecting, there was enough proof for them to see that this was the one they were expecting. But because he didn't come in the way that they were expecting, they rejected him. They rejected him. And one of the things we're going to see today is that during his earthly ministry, you're going to see at the end of the tribulation period when he comes, he's going to come in power and great glory. I just look toward that day. It's an amazing thing. We're going to be coming back with him. And what's the ambiance of it is going to just be wonderful. The sun's going to go out by the end of the tribulation period. It's going to start getting darker and darker by the end of the tribulation period. It's going to go out. And so when he comes back and we come back with him, we're coming on a blackened sky. And they're going to see this great, wonderful light coming out of the sky. It's going to be a thing of beauty to see. Can I say, I told you so. (laughs) I think our natures are going to be changed. I would like to say I told you so to some of these people, but I think that they will know when they see what is happening. And so it's important to understand the actual and the potential of what happened here. Now, when the son came, he will see that he did not... It was the return of the glory, but they didn't see the glory that they were expecting because he just looked like a man, just a human being. And so that's why they could talk to him the way that they did. When you look at John chapter 8 and look at the way that they talked to him, they talked to him like they were talking to some kind of a criminal, so disrespectful just talking to him in ways that you wouldn't talk to God, you wouldn't think. You know why? They didn't see him as God. They just saw him as just another man. And I think God did it that way. It was just a beautiful way that he set it up. And they rejected him. And as a result of them rejecting him, we got a chance to come in on it. Lo, I turned to the Gentiles. Isn't that what Paul told the Jews? Lo, we turned to the Gentiles and preach this message, and they will hear it. And so the the glory returned. Israel rejected the glory. We'll show you that today. And as a result of that, there is a postponement of the return of the glory. And watch what happens when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period. And you're going to see glory like you've never seen before. Well, we're going to be coming back with him.
and it's going to be an amazing sight to see. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity <clears throat> of being able to see these things and to see your wisdom and how you put things together is just so far above what men could ever think. And we're so thankful that uh, we don't have to figure it out, that as we're illuminate, illuminated by the Holy Spirit and we can understand the things that you've given us to understand, and there are things that we will never understand because your wisdom is so far higher than ours. And we're thankful, Father, that you've allowed us to be a part of what you're doing. And it's totally as a result of grace, not a result of anything that we've done. We're thankful for that in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we were looking last week and we uh, were talking about the glory departing. And then if you go back into Isaiah chapter 40, just wanted to look at that a little bit further because it sets us up for what happens um, in the New Testament. And so in Isaiah chapter 40, and when you read at the, begin- at the bottom uh, of Isaiah, I hope that today you're not applying the scripture today to you. And so a lot of people do, and for a lot of people this is a special scripture in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse, 20, um, and verse 31, because it's talking to the nation of Israel. I know a lot of people get teary-eyed about it, and they, you know, have made this their life's verse. I hope you're not making it your life's verse. This is talking to Israel. (laughs) Verse 31. But they that wait for Jehovah, wait upon, wait for Jehovah, the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so this was a promise that was given to Israel that the glory was going to return one day. And those who waited for him, that this would be applied to them. And so you had these people from the time that the glory departed, that they were waiting on the return of the glory. Now in verse 1 of chapter 40, you see Isaiah write this, and we're going to go over into the New Testament and we'll see when... um, um, John the Baptist came onto the scene. He quoted, not verbatim, because there's something that he left out in this quote, but he quoted the majority of this text here. In verse 1, he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith uh, your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and that her iniquity, or really her perversity, is pardoned. For she has received of the Lord's hand double of all of her sins. And remember, uh, Israel was led into captivity. And they were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And then they came out of Babylon and they were scattered all over uh, different countries and, and such, which sets us up to uh, Acts, which Courtney's going through Acts. Remember when they come in on the day of Pentecost, you had these Jews who came from all these different countries. All of this matters. All of this background, it matters. It's telling a consistent story. And when we get that out of context and we start applying it in the wrong way, you get the story fouled up. And so they come from these different countries. And notice in verse 3, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, or prepare ye the way of Jehovah. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, 
Every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked places shall be made uh, straight, and the rough places made plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now, notice when you go over to um, Luke, I think it is, where you see John the Baptist talk about this, he doesn't um, mention the glory. It's interesting. In John chapter th- uh, Luke chapter three, but before we leave Isaiah, he talks about this glory. And remember, our word for glory is the word kabood, and it's the outward manifestation of God's opinion of Himself as manifested in a brilliant radiance of light. And so, I do believe that glory has this idea of opinion. And as I've given you the uh, chart, and you'll see this chart. Um, at least this one is regarding the sun, and I gave you one a couple of weeks ago that was looking at the different manifestations of opinion and how it can be manifested in different ways. I quibble with some people. There are some people who believe that it doesn't just mean opinion. Well, I think it means opinion, and that opinion can be expressed in a lot of different ways, right? And so there are some people who, you know, they say, well, it just doesn't mean opinion. Okay, well, I I won't quibble with you. I won't call you a heretic if you say that, but... You know, I like Jay Vernon McGee used to say, if you want to be on the right side of it, you might want to agree with me. <laughs> so, but here you see it with regard to the sun. And uh, on, I can't remember what page it is, uh, page six of your outline. And so the different ways in which he manifested that opinion of himself. So sometimes it can be in light. Sometimes it can be in activity. Now this is important. Because when it gets to 2 Corinthians 3.18, when it says that we all are being transformed to, from glory to glory, it can be in activity, right? And the way that we conduct, that that life of the sun is being seen out in us over periods of time. That that life can be seen out in the believer. God can be glorified and the way that the believer conducts himself, you see. And so we're not necessarily radiating light. You're not going around and people say, oh, glory. (laughs) It's not that, but it's behavior, you see. And that's what you're going to see in the life of the son when he took on a human body. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, see. And there was an, there's an opinion that can be expressed in activity in the way that uh, men conduct themselves. But you, you saw that in the Old Testament. There was a glory that was manifested, and, and we'll uh, continue to see this. And notice he says in uh, Isaiah 40, and this glory shall be revealed. And it's the word ra'ah, uh, really it's the unveiling. And you can see it used that way in the Old Testament. It's the unveiling of something for everyone to see. So during this earthly ministry, people just if, if you were there doing Christ's earthly ministry and you walk by him, you would have just thought, that's eh, just another man. Unless you saw him, well, even people that saw him do things. Unless the father opened your eyes to see that this one was different, you would not have seen it. Right? He did a lot of miracles and people did those miracles and People didn't think anything about it. Remember, John chapter 6 would be a great example of it. 
he he fed the four the uh, four hundred thousand. Oh, excuse me, the four thousand and the five thousand. And what did it do? It caused people to follow him, not because they saw the miracle. You see, they didn't follow him because they saw the miracle. Why did they follow him? Well, he tells them they followed him because he fed them. He fed them. You see, so. Here you'll see the activity of the Son. He's not radiating light. He's actually manifesting the Father's glory in activity. And I don't think that people could really recognize it unless your eyes were open to see it. Unless your eyes were open to see it. Um, now, go back before we go uh, to uh, Matthew 24, 30. I, I want to just put this as an addition. Look at uh, Luke 3. And it's interesting as uh, John the Baptist comes on the scene and he quotes this very scripture. Well, they should have known as he quotes this that, man, something's up here. Um, that this is, um, this is, um, this is a, a fulfillment here of what was prophesied. And so notice in verse, um, just start with verse uh, 1. We'll read down. In verse 1, now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being the tetric of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the tetric of uh, Ituria, and of the region of Trachonitis, and uh, Lysian, uh, Lysianus, the uh, tetric of Abilene, Ananias and uh, Caphias being the high priest, the word of the God came unto the John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness, and he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, remember, you know, when we come to this, and I, and I remember growing up in the church, everything was applied in the eyes of the church. Now, we can prove from Scripture in Acts 13, 25, that this baptism of repentance was preached to all of the nation of Israel. There was no church here. None. And it, once you interject the church here, you're going to have a lot of heresy. The church was not in existence here. And so he came to all the people of Israel. Now notice in verse 4, as it's written in the, word of, uh, the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, crying, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Makes it, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. And so what is, going to, what is he talking about here? There are going to be topographical changes preceding the coming of the Messiah. Now, I believe there is actual and potential that happened here. I, I think that these things would have all happened differently if Israel had accepted Christ as the Messiah. I believe in actual and potential because he... If you, if you don't believe that, then you're saying that Christ is offering them a kingdom and he's just, well, I know you're not going to believe it. I'm, this is just fake. No, I think it was real. And if they had believed it, I think that the rapture would have occurred differently. The millennial kingdom would have occurred differently. All of this would have occurred in a different way than it's occurring. But prior to the second coming, because they rejected it, every valley shall be exalted. Every hill should be made low. The rough places may claim. What is he talking about? Topographical changes. 
there are going to be topographical changes that occur prior to the coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation period. You know, we have what is called, the scientists have labeled it Pangaea, right? They didn't used to believe that. For many years, they never believed that the world used to be, the earth used to be one world, one landmass. Well, what is, going to, what is it going to be? So there was a separating of the landmass back during the time of uh, Noah. Uh, excuse me, uh, actually past Noah. It's in Genesis chapter 10. And so what happened? On the other side of the uh, Tower of Babel, God told them to scatter. They didn't want to scatter, so he broke the land up. So what's going to happen prior to the Lord coming back? It's going to all come back together. And so, as Elvis Presley used to say in his song, I'm all shook up. There's going to be all, a lot of shaking going on during that time. And so that's what you see when you look in Revelation. You see a lot of earthquakes that are occurring. And so this landmass is going to be brought back together. All of the mountains are going to be made low. All of the, no more Grand Canyon. It's going to be brought up. Now, why is he doing this? Because people in the millennial kingdom are going to live longer, and you need more land. And that's why it's going to happen. And so notice he says, a rough split, the, 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 every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be made low, the hills shall be brought low, and the crooked places made straight, and the rough places shall be made smooth. Now notice he leaves out something that Isaiah didn't. Isaiah said back in Isaiah 40 and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed you notice he doesn't say that here and all flesh shall see the salvation of God and so there's going to come a time uh, and you know it's interesting the actual and the potential of how God did this because now we understand going forward when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period Everybody will see him. Everybody on the face of the earth is going to see him when he comes back. What a wonderful picture that is. That everyone on the face of the earth is going to see his face. We're going to see him when he comes back. And so notice, um, Matthew talked about this, or the Lord talked about it in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30. So if you look at Matthew 24, you know you can tell someone's eschatology. What do I mean when I say eschatology? Their understanding of last times by what they say about Matthew 24. What do they believe Matthew 24 is? Do you believe it's the rapture? If you believe that Matthew 24 is the rapture, then you believe that the church is going through the tribulation period. Matthew 24, as it would, we would have it, in context would have it, talks about the sun coming at the end of the tribulation period. He's not talking again to the church. The church is not here. This is talking to Israel. And he talks about, remember, the disciples asked him three questions. Um, as they sat down on the Mount of Olives, notice in verse 3, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And he's talking about the destruction of the temple. What shall be the sign of your coming? which is very significant, right? What shall be the sign of your coming? Now, we understand with the rapture, there is no sign preceding the rapture. But there is a sign preceding the second coming of Christ, right? What shall be the sign of your coming 
And what shall be the end of the, not word world there, it's the word age. What shall be the end of the age? And so he's talking to them, and he's telling them and explaining to them, uh, answering some of these questions. Now notice, he's going to get to talking about what will be the sign of his coming. Uh, if you turn to Matthew 24, and you look, let's start at verse um, 24. He says, For there shall arise false Christs, false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say to you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines unto the west, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man, or the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there shall the eagles be gathered together. Now, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about a wonderful dinner where we all sit down at a wonderful table with white cloth and all of this and eat this wonderful dinner together, right? No, he's talking about a dinner for the vultures. And there's going to be a lot for them to eat on after he tramples many people to death at his second coming. And notice in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, notice he's giving you context here. It's after the tribulation of those days. Shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven. And I would say with reference to heaven, all it takes is for one star to fall on the earth and the earth is no more. But I think that what is happening, Jeremiah says that, that as the time span is sped up and because of these changes, these um, changes with the sun going out, that the earth will speed up. And so as the people are looking, I think that they're looking with reference to heaven and it looks to them. You talk about, I hope some of these people are not high on that day because they're going to really get uh, what they call a trip. <laughs> And so it's going to look like the, sun, the, the stars are falling with reference to the earth, right? That's how it's going to look to them. And so, uh, so I don't look at the, this taking literal stars falling, but as the language would suggest, that they're falling with reference from heaven. And notice, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign. You see that? Didn't they just ask him what would be the sign of your coming? <laughs> then shall be, appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And notice what will happen. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And notice the Lord answers that with power and great glory. I love a good ending to a story. And this is going to be a wonderful ending. All of these people today who think that they're in control and they're manipulating and uh, got their thumb on the, the uh, uh, other people, they're going to see they're not in control. And that's going to happen. And so notice you see this rapture. Notice he's coming in clouds. Now, that's an interesting thing, this word for clouds. And, and you see this accompany. A lot. Now, I know that 
a lot of the time we say that the clouds are just people, but I think it's more than that. As you look back into the um, Old Testament and other places, you see that one of the things that accompanies the glory of God are clouds, right? Shekinah glory clouds. Let's look at a couple of references in the Old Testament. Look, if you would, in Psalms 104. Psalms 104. And he's going to talk about... um, the sun being clothed in a garment of light. And then he references also something that I think that we miss sometimes is also what uh, accompanies this light are clouds. And you can see that, that he indwells or covers himself in clouds. And so notice in verse 1, Blessed, uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, uh, O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who covereth thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who lays the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walks upon the wings of of the wind, uh, who maketh his angels, spirits, his ministers, a flame of fire. And also in uh, Job, uh, chapter 22, uh, and we, we saw last week um, that this the, the relationship of the cloud to the glory as it was on Mount Sinai, and so there's other places where you could see it. Um, and in Job 22, verse 13, this is said of uh, Eliphaz uh, in verse 13 as he's... Um, Talking to Job, he says, and thou says, how does God know? Can he judge through the dark cloud? Thick clouds are a covering to him that he sees not, and he walketh in the circuit of heaven. Has thou marked the old way which the wicked man have trodden? In other words, I mean, you see this idea of clouds, and it's interesting to see this because you see in Matthew 26, now this may not make any sense to any of you guys, but some of the people who understand he uses a, two different types of prepositions with regard to this clouds, of the sun coming with clouds. It's, one is epi, and the other one he uses an in preposition, which is really interesting. Notice in Matthew 26 and verse 64. Matthew 26 and verse 64. <clears throat> and in Matthew 26, he says, Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, uh, or let me go back to get some context. In verse 61, um, and said this fellow, said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it with which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hence, uh, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming, uh, now here you have, upon the clouds of heaven, you see, upon the clouds um, uh, belonging to heaven, uh, to the heavens. And then you see in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, which is interesting, you see something a little bit shade differently said. Revelation 1 and verse 7. I said in, it actually uses the word meta with, 
clouds. In Revelation 1, and this is a really interesting verse here, because um, it, I mean, it gives you some insight as to what's going to happen here at the end of the tribulation period. In verse 7, he says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. Are really matter loosely associated with clouds? And every eye shall see him. Now, this is a, a wonderful thing. So here on the face of when he came doing his earthly ministry, people saw him, but they didn't recognize who he was. With the way that he's coming back at the end of the tribulation period, every single eye on the face of this earth is going to see him. And they also which pierced him, talking about the Jews, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And so when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period, he's going to come back. And notice he says, with clouds. And so the relationship, I think, here uh, of those believers that are coming back with him uh, versus uh, his own, um, the, the clouds that accompanied his, his glory. And it's interesting, the distinction that is made there. But notice the son will come back, as it says in Matthew, he, he says, he will come back with power. The word for power there is the display of God's kind of ability. And so that's what's going to be on display. You're going to see power like you've never seen it before. Uh, and so that power is used from a spiritual sense, and it's been used that way, for, uh, spiritually manifested from God. And you can see it also in a physical sense. And notice he comes back with great glory. And the word great is the word pollute, much or mega glory. Uh, mega looks at, excuse me, mega is, is pollute rather than mega is what I wanted to say. And so it doesn't have mega there when he comes back with great glory in, in uh, Matthew 24. It actually uses the word pollute. Mega focuses on the depth of a thing, whereas pollute focuses on the extent of something. And so here he's looking at the extent of the glory that he's coming back with, which is going to be vast. Uh, and our word glory, and we'll continue to look at it in the New Testament, is the word for doxa, which looks at the opinion of. And so here the son comes back at the end of the tribulation period. That's not the way that it was meant to be. He was meant to reveal that glory during his earthly ministry. Why didn't he do it? Because the Jews rejected it. Now let me show you, and we talked about this, look at Luke chapter 2. There are many evidences of the fact that they knew that this was the one and they rejected the fact that he had come to manifest his glory to Israel. In Luke chapter 2, so we have two people, and we talked about one of them before. We talked about Simeon, but there were actually two people that were waiting in the temple to validate the fact that this was the one that Israel was waiting on. And so... After, I think here he's about eight days old, they bring him into the temple, and we'll pick it up in verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law, 
of the Lord a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons, which is a sacrifice of someone who's of meager means. And this is what was prescribed under law. Now remember, in the, during Christ's earthly ministry, they were under law. Now this is important to understand. If you don't understand that point, you'll get off on a lot of things. Okay? They were under law. Now notice in verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was uh, just and devout, and he was waiting upon the comforting of Israel. That were consolation, the comforting of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now letteth thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Now, remember, we read in uh, uh, Luke 1, as Zechariah prophesied that there was, they would be delivered from the hands of their enemies and that there was one that was going to do that and that's what they were waiting on. And so notice he says, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people. Now this, uh, this phrase, the people, is used quite often throughout the New Testament to talk about Israel, the nation of Israel. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And so he authenticates the fact that this was the one that was the glory that they were waiting on. Why didn't they believe it? Well, there's another person who authenticates it. As you look down, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken of him, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, and that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanelio, of the tribe of Asher, She was of a great age, and she had lived with her husband seventy years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instance gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spoke spoke of him to all them that looked for the redemption of Israel, or excuse me, the redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee to their own uh, city of Nazareth. And so here you have uh, Anna, who also authenticated this was the one that they were looking for. They should have known that this was the glory that they were expecting to return to Israel. But it's an interesting thing. He wasn't glowing. The baby wasn't in the manger and that radiance just shining brilliantly. God did something very interesting. That glory was veiled in a human body. And he allowed people to be able to, by faith, 
see. Or as the father opened the eyes, I think during that time, you can see in um, John chapter 10, the father opened the eyes of those who believe to be able to see that this one was more than a man. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It's interesting how the father was the one who actually did it during Christ's earthly ministry. And today it's the Holy Spirit. And if you had not been able to be, have your eyes lifted by the Father, all you would have seen is just a man. And Israel missed it. Really, there's a lot of prophecy here. There's a lot of things that he did, and we'll see it. That as he did those things, he manifested forth the glory of the Father they should have been able to see in his activity, right? That he was the one. And it's interesting how God did it that way. Now, I guess if he had came and his glory would have been shining through his, his human body, it would have been easier to believe that he was the one, right? God didn't want it that way. He wanted them to be able to see through activity that this was the one. It's an interesting thing because if you, on, on a, just on the side of it, as believers, there's nothing glowing about you and I. Right. As we walk through the face of this earth, we've been changed. We will see that you and I are seen as being uh, seated at the right hand of the father, that the son is indwelling you, that the Holy Spirit's indwelling you, the father is indwelling you. But look at how people relate to you. They don't see that. And even as you allow that life to be seen on the outside. Doesn't mean that people are going to say, oh, glory out of the Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you were a son of of God. Let me treat you differently. (laughs) You're going to see that. It it has nothing to do with that. And I think that God, what is it? I think God is showing forth something in what he's allowed in Christ's earthly ministry and what he's doing today with believers. And so here you see that he did things and these things were to show forth uh, to those uh, of the nation of Israel that he was the one. Now, let me just show you what happened here. As he came down and he took on his human body, he divested himself of the outward manifestation of his glory during his earthly ministry. Now, we we understand that. If you look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, now, you don't want to say, as some people say here, that he laid down his deity. No, I think what he, he, you didn't see in the sun was the outward manifestation uh, that comes with the glory. And so notice in Philippians chapter 2, a couple of things are said here. In verse 1 he says, If therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done out of strife or vainglory. And so here you have that glory doxa in a um, compound form. or It's really, it's, it's, it's an empty opinion of yourself, you know, until you can have an empty opinion of who you are. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than your, themselves. Here you are. Here you have self-esteem. It's not really self-esteem. It's others' esteem. And oh, by the way, let me get another plug in on the commercial. Some of the people who are full of self-esteem are some of the most loony people I've ever met. That's what they're doing to you. They're making you crazy by getting you to focus on yourself. And so, okay, back to the scriptures. (laughs) 
Look not every man on their own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, and he took, up, took upon him the form of a servant being made in the likeness of man. And so this word that he took upon himself the form, morphe. Uh, so the outward manifestation deals the inner reality of a person or a thing, whether genuine or authentic. And so he showed forth this outward manifestation. So outwardly what you saw was the outward manifestation of a man, right? That he did not show himself forth to be who he really was on the outside. And he, you can see that because of the, he not only uses morphe, he actually goes down and he uses this word for um, uh, schematai, which, which uh, looks at the outward f- expression of it. And then what was that form? That he was seen as the form of a servant. In other words, servant is the one who operates under and is controlled by a master for the express purpose of doing the master's bidding. So this was repulsive to Israel. Why? Because they expected that when the Messiah came, that he's going to be one who comes with power. That he was going to put down their enemies. And so they didn't have, they didn't, um, they didn't, this, this uh, stumbled them. And so um, the son would reflect on an outward form of his deity. Uh, on one occasion, he showed forth that. And we know that that's the case by what Peter says in Second Peter, and notice in Second Peter 1.16. Second Peter one sixteen. Uh, actually, is that two sixteen? Second Peter. Second Peter. I think it's a second. Okay, it is 2 Peter one sixteen. I'm in First Peter. Notice what Peter says here. We have not followed cunningly devised uh, device fables when we made known unto you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for, we, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory that is, um, the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. And so this idea of, he says, we were eyewitnesses, we were spectators of it. And we saw this glory. Now, what did they see? Well, turn back to Matthew chapter 17. You see an example of it. So you had some that were able to see uh, inwardly who he really was, but um, only a few got to see it. And so here you have Peter, James, and John who were with him on the mount, um, and they were able to see it. And notice in verse 1 of chapter 17, and after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brings them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured. That word transfigured, metamorphized. Or, so you have that ver- very same word of showing forth outwardly what someone is inwardly. And so it's kind of the same process that you get of a butterfly. I, this is the same word that is used of you and I as believers and we'll see over in Second Corinthians three eighteen of that life of the Son being, and we are being changed from one glory to the other 
as that life is being seen out. And so notice he says, and he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto him, uh, unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou will, let us have three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah. <clears throat> you know, sometimes it's good to say nothing. Um, and Peter sometimes missed the boat on that. And so notice you have this, uh, what Peter describes is this outward majesty that was seen, uh, but it wasn't seen a lot. Most of what he did during his earthly ministry uh, was seen out in activity. It wasn't an outward manifestation of this light. It was an activity. Now, I do think this is significant because I think as it comes down to pact with you and I, as we are manifesting God's glory, as we're glorifying him, it's not just an outward manifestations of mystical things of a light being seen. There's going to be a light that we're going to manifest, but not in this life. It says that when we are changed, that we are going to be like him, and there's going to be a light that's going to accompany the believer's resurrected body. But today, what you're going to see, it's inactivity, as you saw it with the sun. Notice in uh, John chapter 1 and verse 14. And so as you look at the incarnation of the son, um, as he took on this human body, and you see this correlation between the life and how that life was light, and that was what was manifested in activity during his earthly ministry. Notice in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. Verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness uh, comprehended it not. Uh, they what comprehended here? They couldn't lay hold in their minds of what they were seeing. They couldn't. They saw it. You could see an example of it in John chapter 7 when the captain of the guard went to arrest him uh, at, in the temple and he didn't arrest him and he goes back to the Pharisees and they say, well, why didn't you take him? <clears throat> and he says, no man spake like this man. They saw him. They saw the activities. They couldn't lay hold in their minds of what it was they were actually seeing. And so notice you see this as you go through the Gospel of John kind of reveals a lot of this. Look at John chapter 5. Just, this is um, off the beaten path. But again, you see these activities and the things that he does and they reject it. Look at John chapter 5, verse 14. After which Jesus, Jesus finds himself in the temple and they say unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more lest a, a course uh, excuse me, a worse thing come upon thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father works hitherto, and I work. 
Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making him equal with God. See, they saw it, but they did not understand. They just, it was totally different from what they were expecting. There was a blindness there. And I know we, can, we could really uh, criticize the Jews and say, well, why didn't they see it? Well, the only way that you and I see anything today is the Holy Spirit illuminates our minds. And the only way that they saw during Christ's earthly ministry was that the Father opened their minds to be able to see it. Why? Because we're all in a fallen state. Remember, Courtney read the scripture in Romans, the ninth chapter, that he have mercy on whom he has mercy, and to whom he will, he hardens. God has just happened to have mercy on you and I today. And some doing his earthly, uh, the son's earthly ministry. Now, I believe that they could not see this because they, they're in that fallen state. They got caught up in all of their, they were taking the, the letter of what was said in prophecy and looking for that. And they, it blinded them so much they couldn't see what was happening right before their very eyes. It's just an amazing thing. Well, look at the ninth chapter. And it can happen to believers today. It happens to believers today. Look at the ninth chapter of John. Here he is. He heals this man born blind. And what do they do? They're so caught up in the fact that he did it on the Sabbath. That they couldn't see that this man was God. And what does the blind man say to them? This is an amazing thing. No one has healed a blind man from the time of the beginning. And here you don't believe? And so notice in the ninth chapter here, they try to get other people to refute that this was him. And so notice in verse 8, the neighbors therefore, uh, and they that which before had seen him that was blind said, it is, is not this he that sat and begged? And some said, this is he. Others says, he, isn't, he is like him. But he says, I am. Therefore said they unto him, how was thine eyes open? And he answered and said, A man that called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. And they said unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to uh, the, the Pharisees uh, him that afore was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees said unto him how he had received his sight. And he said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes, and I washed, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. <laughs> they said unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then, how then does he now see? 
His parents answered and said, we know this is our son, that he was born blind. But by what means he now see, we know not. Or who has opened his eyes? We know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak of himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if this man did not, conf- that any, if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. This doesn't make any sense, right? Why are they doing this? And so if, and really you can see that the father had to open the eyes of ones during the earthly ministry of the son to see that this was the one. How else could you ignore the miracles that he did? They spoke for the fact that who, of who he was. And we're going to see one here in, in, Luke and in John 11 where he says that by doing this miracle, he's manifesting forth his glory. Why didn't they see it? And you can say, well, hey, if I'd have been there, be careful with these if I had been there things. It's kind of like the people that said if I'd have been in the garden, I wouldn't have done what uh, Adam did. Yes, you would have. <laughs> you would have done the very same thing Adam did. Now, notice in the 11th chapter of John, you see a similar thing. In 40, uh, well, let's get some context here. In verse uh, 32, And so um, you're going to see here that he's manifesting. Not, it's not something that he's walking around with his outward manifestation of glory here, but that he's showing forth glory and activity by what he does. And people should see that. They should have been able to see that. Notice in verse 32. When Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Uh, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he says, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And there's a lot of theological discussion about why did Jesus weep here. Was it over grief? Was it over their disbelief? Well, I'll leave that to you to figure out on that vein. Verse 36, then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind. So here they are. They understand that that happened, right? (laughs) But they don't put it together. Have caused that even this man should not have died. And Jesus, therefore, said, again, groaning in himself, came to the grave it was a cave, and a stone laid upon it. And Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks. For he had been dead for four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto you that if you desired, or if you would believe, thou would see the glory of God and so this idea of being able to, uh, it's actually from orao, this form that is used there of being able to see. So you have these forms of sight words that are used in the New Testament, and they're very interesting when you pass through them. And so this word is that you're looking with discernment of thought as you see something happen. You're not just glancing at it. You're watching intently as you're seeing the activities, and you're learning something about it. 
And he says to her, didn't I tell you you would see the glory of God? And it, really, it, it was seen in activity throughout his earthly ministry. He wasn't walking around glowing. He didn't have the outward manifestation of glory that you see now. And we're going to see as you move forward. He dwells today in light that no man can approach unto. He didn't do in his earthly ministry. Now watch what happens. They took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I know that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now you can see later on in this chapter and over into the 12th chapter, they see this. The Jews see this. They know that Lazarus was raised. Well, later on, you start seeing that they are uh, later on in verse 48. Well, look at 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees in the council and said, what do we? For this man does many miracles. Now, those words, the word for miracles there is the word samian, the sign miracles. Sign miracles are several types of miracles that could be done. These miracles were different kinds of miracles that were important. These sign miracles were done to point towards something. So when he turned that water to wine over in John chapter 2, it was pointing towards something. I am more than a man. They should have seen it. And some did see it. Remember, the the disciples saw it. You can go back to John 2. When they saw him turn that water to wine, they said, this guy's, this is not just a man. This guy is God. Nobody could do this. Right? Those sign miracles were meant to point towards something to show people, even though he's not walking around with outward manifestation of glory, that was to show them that one is God. And so, look, they see this. They see these miracles, and they didn't get it. He says, if we let him alone, he says, this man does many miracles. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. You see that? It wasn't about God. It was about their hierarchy they had set up, and they were trying to protect it. It's just a brilliant plan that God had. That he didn't allow the son to come at that time with outward show of light and power, but that he encased them in a human body and allowed men to fall all over themselves in their unbelief. Just an amazing, who would have done that? Could you think of a plan like that? Brilliant. Just a brilliant plan. And on the other side of it then, he was able to open the door for you and I. It's just an amazing thing that he's done. And here you're going to see it as we continue to progress that he's using you and I today to manifest his glory to the world. What an amazing God we have. His ways 
and how he does things are so far away from how you and I would do it, it ain't even funny. We would just cut to the chase, right? I told you I'd make a bad God. I'd be zapping people all over the place. There would be nobody alive. <laughs> Anybody disagreed? Zap! But here's what God has done. That he encased his son in human flesh and allowed the glory to return to Israel. And they missed it. Right in front of their face. And they missed it. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to see these things. And just we can see your power. We can see your glory. We can see your wisdom. Just the amazing things and how you work. Our minds would hurt from even trying to track how you do it. It's just so far beyond anything that we could think of or would even do. We don't even have the capacity to even think this way. And so we're thankful, Father, that we serve a God that is in complete control of all of the world. And we see it in how you allowed your son to return, the glory to return to Israel. And how you still have a, pro- a, a plan with, for Israel, even though they rejected him during his earthly ministry, that you still have a plan for them. And in that, we see your mercy and just so many things about your character. And we're so thankful for that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.